Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Greetings, everyone. I want to welcome especially those who are tuning in from our various regionals. Our regional in the Northwest Calgary in the Crowfoot Theatres, our regionals in Bridgeland, Adrian, South Calgary. I also want to welcome our online audience from wherever you're joining from around the globe. This is an exciting statistic. Every month, close to 4,000 people watch the live streaming of our worship services on the internet from over 34 countries all around the world. So if you're watching from another country, yeah, give a big hand. If you're watching from another country, we want you to know that you are part of our Sanderstreet Church family. We appreciate you, we love you, and we are so glad that you're able to worship with us. Today, we will be wrapping up our mini-sermon series, The Temptation Trap. Temptation is everywhere. And it is so important for us to learn to deal with it in order to live victorious Christian lives. In this series, we've been studying the temptations of Jesus and learning vital keys to resisting temptation in our own personal lives. The dictionary meaning of the word temptation suggests it is an act of enticement to do wrong by promise of pleasure or gain. The devil has a significant role to play in the day-to-day -day temptations of our life. For he is the one who sets the trap with the intention of derailing us from living for God. But when we give in to temptation, we cannot put the blame entirely on the devil. Because we sin by our own choice. So this phrase, the devil made me do it, has been used flippantly but it's not a valid one. A wife went shopping one day, and she saw this beautiful dress, and she wanted it right away, and she couldn't resist the temptation. So she bought this dress, even though it was very expensive. She returned back home. Her husband saw the receipt, and he said, Dear, we cannot afford this. How, why did you buy this expensive dress? Well, her response was, Honey, the devil made me do it. I was trying it on the store, and the devil whispered and said, You look so gorgeous. And it's not very often I hear such compliments, so I gave in to the temptation. <laughs> the husband said, Well, you know how to deal with that. You should have said, Get thee behind me, Satan. The wife said, I did. And Satan said, It looks great from behind too. We laugh at these jokes, but the truth of the matter is the devil cannot make you sin. He can only tempt you. When you consent to the temptation and act on it, then and only then it becomes a sin. The devil tried hard at tempting Jesus, hoping that Jesus would yield to the temptation, but Jesus stood strong and resisted the enemy. If Jesus had fallen into the temptation, think about the consequences. 
And yet somehow in our own lives, we downplay the consequences of giving in to temptation. We make it seem so casual. But the Bible urges us to fight the good fight of faith and not to cave in to temptations easily. As we look at Jesus' temptations, the first temptation to turn stones into bread was a suggestion to act independently of God. And Jesus resisted all three temptations by quoting from the Bible. It is written. And that is the first key to resisting temptation, the power of God's word. The second temptation was to jump off the pinnacle of the temple. And it was a suggestion to manipulate God. And Jesus resisted this temptation by confidently resting on his identity. So that is the second key to resisting temptation, the power of our identity in Christ. Today, we will take a closer look at the third temptation, and I'll give you the third key to overcoming temptation. I'm going to ask you to stand as we read from Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 to 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Can we pause for a moment and ask God to speak to us afresh today? Father, we want to thank you that you cared for your son in the wilderness, that you sent your angels to attend to him in his time of need. We thank you for being such a compassionate God who cares about our day-to-day -day problems of life. And we pray that you will send us help from above when we are tempted. And Father, today we want our hearts to be in tune with you. So speak to us in a way you alone can. Let there be freedom in this place as your spirit ministers. This is your time. So we give it to you, God. Accomplish all that you have in mind for this worship service. For we ask this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. If you look at the first two temptations of Jesus, they were very subtle. At first glance, neither turning stones into bread or jumping off the pinnacle of a temple seems like serious sins. But wrapped inside these subtle temptations were the offer for independence and manipulation. In contrast, the third temptation is not subtle at all. It's a straightforward, seductive offer where Satan shows his true colors. I want to read to you from Luke's gospel so we can see how Luke records this temptation. Luke 4, verses 5 to 7. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor 
It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Picture this in your mind. The devil takes Jesus to a very high place and gives an aerial view shot of all of the kingdoms of the world in an instant. And it's fascinating what Satan is saying here. I have authority over all the kingdoms of the world and I can give it to anyone I want to. What a statement. The devil has the ability to give wealth, power, fame, prosperity to anyone who complies with his plan. If you have wondered why the wicked prosper, there lies your answer. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. That's how Satan is being addressed as the God of the age. He stakes claim over this fallen world. He has access to wealth, power, and the splendor of the world. And if you become Satan's sidekick, he will treat you very well and be very generous with what he owns. And this was the third temptation that the devil presented to Jesus. Here are all the kingdoms of the world on a silver platter. You can be the king of kings, rule over the world. It's yours for the taking. Jesus, you claim to be God's beloved Messiah and ruler. But what has God done for you? You're 30 years old and you have nothing. You're hungry and you have no bread. You are alone, you have no company. You are anonymous, the world has not given you your due. And you are just a carpenter trying to make both ends meet. And guess what? As you start your ministry, the next three years will be even more painful. People will hate you. You will have no place to even lay your head. Your own family will mock you. The religious leaders will say all kinds of evil things about you. Your personal disciples in whom you pour into for three and a half years will betray you and deny you. And you will die on a cross, stripped naked, spat on your face, scourged and whipped. You will die like a criminal. That's what God has in mind for you. Do you really want to submit to God's plan? But I have a glamorous plan for you, Jesus. Here is the deal. It doesn't involve rejection. doesn't involve poverty. No cross, no pain. Everything that God has promised you, I will give you free of cost. And on the outside, it looked like an inviting offer. But it was a trap with a catch. Bow down and worship me. Just compromise on your convictions. Just give up your principles. Forget God for one moment and I will give you everything you ever dreamed. This temptation shows the devil in his true colors. 
Satan is hungry for worship. His one purpose is to transfer over to himself the worship that rightfully belongs to God. Satan was one of the created angelic beings of God. Probably one of the highest angels in hierarchy. But Satan was not content with his position. He became proud and arrogant and he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be worshipped. He desired the praise of all the heavenly beings. So he joined hands with a few other consenting angels and attempted a rebellion against God. And God, through Satan and his angels from heaven, they were cast down. But because God has a purpose, he has not destroyed Satan yet. He has allowed Satan to continue in his rebellion. And that is why Satan is the enemy of the human soul. He deceived the human race into sin and rebellion against God. And he delights every time humans live in defiance to God. Satan dominates the nations through the evil systems of the world. Behind every major evil that you see in the world today, you see the hand of Satan. And this proud fallen angel is still seeking for worship like a ravaging beast. And he is very much active today as the god of this age and as the prince of darkness. And the biggest trick the devil has ever pulled isn't convincing us that he doesn't exist. A Bana group survey revealed that about 60% of believers they surveyed either strongly agreed or somewhat agreed that Satan isn't a living being but just a symbol of evil. In our advanced scientific world, mocks and ridicules the idea of a personal devil. It seems as so primitive and pre-scientific. But the Bible says the opposite. One of the clearest biblical truths is that there is a struggle between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. There's a battle that is going on between Christ and Satan, who is a real being. And this great struggle manifests itself in the world and in our personal lives. Our adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a lion, seeking to devour whoever he finds. As much as there is a battle... The Bible also clearly tells us how this struggle will end. We get this unmistakable picture of the triumph of Christ and the church and the vanquishing of the enemy. The kingdom of darkness cannot prevail against the kingdom of God and Satan will be banished to a lake of fire. Now as we look at this third temptation, I want to show you Satan's strategy. He was trying to negotiate a deal with Jesus with an offer to bypass the cross. 
For Satan knew very well that his defeat would take place at the cross. This was the plan of God. Jesus had to die a cruel, horrific death before he would be exalted. The lordship of the nations would be rightfully given to Jesus, but he had to suffer first. The nations would be redeemed and become Christ's possession by the shedding of his blood. This was God's plan of the ages. And Satan was offering a shortcut to Jesus. This tantalizing option of a crown without a cross. He was giving Jesus the lordship of the nations without having to suffer and die. As you read the Gospels, you will see this all through Jesus' life and ministry. The temptation to bypass the cross. When Jesus spoke to his disciples about his crucifixion, Peter took him aside and said, Surely this will not happen to you, Lord. And Jesus instantly recognizes the voice of Satan. And he says in Matthew 16, 23, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block. The temptation surfaced again in the Garden of Gethsemane. And later, even when Jesus was nailed on the cross, the thieves on both sides and the jeering mob yelled, come down from the cross. If you are the son of God, show yourself to be powerful. But Jesus was on a mission. He was determined and steadfast. He submitted to God's plan and refused to compromise. What was the end result? The greatest, most powerful, decisive victory over Satan took place at the cross. Colossians 2.15 tells us, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This verse gives us a graphic description of Satan's defeat. For when Jesus died on the cross, he disarmed Satan. He defeated all of the principalities and the powers of darkness. It was a death blow to Satan's kingdom. And not just that, Jesus made a public spectacle of them. Victory was celebrated during those days by taking the captives on a procession. The victorious Roman general would parade the defeated enemies on the streets of Rome. The captives would be stripped of their ornaments, their weapons, and even their clothing, and made to walk naked on the streets of Rome, bowing before the conquering king. And that is the image used in Colossians 2.15 to communicate the defeat of Satan. And that is why we are never told in the Bible to be afraid of the devil. We have to be careful and alert, but we never have to crouch in fear. 
Rather, the Bible says, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. So if you have been caving into temptation without a fight, if you're a Christian who constantly gives into the flesh, then it is time for you to exercise that God-given authority. God does not want us to live in defeat to sin, in defeat to the enemy or life's problems. The Bible says we are more than conquerors in Christ who loved us. We have a victorious Savior. And if we are on His side, the victory is ours as well. So the enemy tempted Jesus to deviate from the cross, to take a shortcut, to compromise his convictions. But Jesus was resolute and he successfully accomplished his mission. And now God has given Jesus, the nations, as an inheritance. And he reigns supreme as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, how does this temptation apply to us today? Does it have any relevance to our lives? Satan has not changed. He is still seeking for worship. He would do everything in his power to cause humans to worship him. During this past Christmas season, the Satanic Temple in Michigan set up a public display called the Snaketivity Scene in the Michigan State Capitol Building, the legislative building of the U.S. state of Michigan. And it featured a snake twisted on a satanic cross and offering a book called The Revolt of the Angels as a gift. And highlighted by these words, the greatest gift is knowledge. Taking a dig at God's command to Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It is obvious today that there is a growing interest in Satanism. The occult is on the rise. If you look at the internet, you will see all kinds of information about how to worship Satan, how to perform satanic rituals, and wooing young people to sign a blood pact with the enemy. The occult is one of the many ways Satan seeks for worship. But I believe the primary way Satan attempts to divert worship away from God is through the many counterfeit gods that he offers to our world. In our world today, we are so afraid of terrorism, people just freak out. I tell you, I'm concerned about terrorism, but I'm not afraid of it. But I'm even more concerned about the terrorism of the soul the kind of assaults on the human soul from Satan and the world around us. There are assassinations, hijacks, killings, and acts of violence perpetuated in the spiritual realm 
And the casualties are far more. It is stunning to see how many times various temptations come so steadily, so relentlessly in a single day, calling us to compromise our faith. And for the most part, we don't even recognize these temptations. Charles Colson, in his brilliant book, Lies That Go Unchallenged in the Popular Culture, exposes some of the lies of the enemy that we see in every sphere of life. Churches, families, media, politics, art, and education. Colson points out that the serpent told Eve that if she ate of the fruit from the tree, she would become like God, knowing good and evil. He spoke a half-truth rather than an outright lie. The truth was twisted in order to make his offer sound attractive and harmless, even though it was in direct rebellion against God. And that's how Satan works today. Casual statements that sound good on the surface, that we don't perceive the underlying errors that are so contrary to the Christian revelation. So statements like, no one has monopoly on truth, and we will live in harmony if we tolerate one another. Marriage can be between any two people, and it should last only as long as they are happy. We have the freedom of choice to become who we want and to do what we want. God accepts us just as we are, and there are many ways to him. Chuck Colson says, each of these statements contain a partial truth, but they are based on underlying assumptions that are contrary to God's revelation. And because we are so inundated by these lies, we see its dismal effect in our society today, the compromise in values that are happening all around us, causing the foundations to be destroyed. Our culture encourages us to embrace and experiment with sexuality, to discover who we are. And what's the end result? Uncontrolled lusts, and problematic sexual behaviors that have destroyed so many lives and marriages and families are in shambles because of that. There's this great urge to spend more because of the buy now and pay later schemes. And as a result, we are in the grip of greed and drowned in debt. In a world where we place such importance on achievement and success, we constantly base our values on our personal accomplishments. Pop legend Madonna once spoke about her obsession with success. And this is what she said. Listen to me carefully. I have an iron will. And all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. 
again and again, my drive in life is from the horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. And if you're honest, that's not just Madonna's story. It's a story of many of us. We pride in the fact that we live in an advanced world and we are so sophisticated with technology. While the enemy seems to be having a heyday, deceiving us, deluding us in so many ways. Yes, our world may have all kinds of knowledge, but we desperately lack wisdom. The book of Proverbs says, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Where there is no fear of God, there will be no wisdom either. Satan seeks our worship through the many false gods that he offers us. Tim Keller addresses our modern-day idols in his great book, Counterfeit Gods, The Empty Promises of Money, Sex, and Power, and the Only Hope That Matters. Keller writes, what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life will feel hardly worth living. That's a powerful definition of idol worship. And I tell you, whenever we worship these counterfeit gods, we are bowing down to Satan whether we recognize it or not. And the devil would use all of these gods as a bait to cause us to compromise our faith, compromise on our convictions, and turn our backs on God. So the important question is, how do we resist this temptation to compromise? When our Western world has moved away from its very roots, the Christian principles that formed our nation, and we have a watered-down version of the gospel, a feel-good message that is being preached in our churches, how do we overcome the invasion of the enemy? Jesus has showed us the way. We do it just like Jesus did. The first key to overcoming temptation is the power of the word. So it is time to go back to the basics, time to go back to the foundations and start building our lives, our families, and our society on the principles and the unshakable truths of the Bible. The second key to overcoming temptation is the power of our identity in Christ. 
We have to rest confident on the fact that we are God's beloved children. And let him love us deeply and feel his affirmation and his satisfaction in our souls. We've explored them in these last two weekends, these two truths. The third key to resisting temptation is the power of worship. How did Jesus handle Satan's offer? Good verse 10. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus was once again quoting the words of Moses from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It reiterates the first two commandments. Do you notice this? Worship and service will always go together. What we worship, we will inevitably serve. So if we worship these counterfeit gods of the world, then we become servants of Satan. But when we worship the one true God, we become his ambassadors. How does worship help in resisting temptation? The word worship comes from the old English word, worth-ship. So worship proclaims God's worth. True worship signifies the priority of God in our lives. Worship is an invitation to intimacy with God. A.W. Tozer said, the whole important substance of the Bible teaches us that the God who does not need anything nevertheless desires the adoration and worship of his created children. How can we not be in awe of this great truth? In the Old Testament, the primary Hebrew word for worship means to bow down in reverence and submission. So it signified reverential fear. The primary Greek word for New Testament for worship means to come forward to kiss a hand. It signifies intimacy. And you will find only in the Christian worship reverence and intimacy coming together. Our God is great and glorious. And yet he takes time to meet with every one of his children. And it is only when we encounter God in worship that our hearts are filled with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. As the song goes, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And then the voice I hear falling on my ear. The Son of God discloses. He speaks and the sound of his voice is so sweet, the birds hush their singing. And the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing. 
And the refrain goes, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. The greatest joy that we are capable of experiencing as humans is found in worship. It is our admiration and awe of God that fills our heart with delight and wonder. And all of a sudden, the seductions and the enchantments of the world lose their charm. When we are starving from hunger, everything in the menu looks good. So if we are starving spiritually, the counterfeit God seems so attractive. But when your soul is deeply satisfied in God, when the life of God is poured out into our soul, then we have this deeper experience of worship and fulfillment in life that helps us to see the counterfeit gods for what they really are, worthless, worthless. The mark of a Christian is true worship. Lives that have surrendered to the Lordship of Christ and the way we live our lives proclaim His worth. Worship is more than singing. But when our lives are in tune with God, singing becomes a powerful expression of worship. As a new Christian, I was the only believer in my family. And the first year was very hard because there was spiritual warfare happening in our own home. And almost every single day, there will be arguments over my decision to become a Christian and how deeply upset the rest of the family are. So almost every single day, relentlessly, we'll have those conversations with my parents, close family members, and even extended family members questioning me, why are you bringing such shame to the family? And that would break my heart. I would feel so discouraged. And I would withdraw myself to my room. And I was attending a church, less than 100 people, but a church that knew how to sing. They didn't have these fancy musical instruments. They didn't have a powerful sound system. But they knew how to worship. They knew how to sing. And in my own room, as, as, as Satan was bringing those discouraging thoughts, God would bring those old choruses to my mind. And all of a sudden, I would start singing and start praising. And it's almost like God would step down from heaven into this room. And I will feel the presence of God and I will know that he was there in that place. Filling me with joy. Filling me with sweet moments of communion that nothing else can give you. The power of worship. Those songs are just etched in my memory and I sing them so often even today. That is a key to resisting temptation. The 
power of praise and worship. Every time you face temptation, make it a point to sing to God. And you will be amazed to see how temptation loses its power when your mind is fixed on worshiping God. And when the devil realizes that every time he tempts you, you worship, he's going to leave you alone. Worship is not just a ritual. It's a declaration. When we worship, we confess that Yahweh, the triune God alone, is worthy of worship. When we worship, we proclaim that we belong to Jesus. We are his possession. And when we worship, we announce God's great victory. So we shout out Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Church, that is the destiny of the enemy of our soul. This ravaging, devouring beast who seeks to assault the people of God will be crushed under our feet and God will completely destroy him. Hallelujah. And we have these principalities and powers of darkness all around us, invisible spirits. They tremble when we worship. Because every time we worship, we are saying, away from me, Satan. I worship God, and I serve him alone. So we come to an end. I'm going to ask us to stand. And I want to give you an opportunity now to worship from your heart, to make that declaration that the triune God alone is worthy of our praise. I want an opportunity for all of us here to be able to say, away from me, Satan. My life has been committed to God. And I know some of you are facing a temptation. You're battling with it. And I want to challenge you to come down here to the altar and kneel here. Because that is your way of saying, God is stronger than my temptation. That is your way of saying, God, I take refuge in you. And the Bible says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. One of the ways out of temptation is worship. So as we worship God, let us give our everything, our heart, soul, and mind surrender to him. Let's bow our hearts and close our eyes and let us pray. Lord, as we come before your awesome presence, we as your people want to make a declaration. We want to declare in this place that God, you are worthy of our praise. Lord, you are worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our adoration. 
Thank you, God, that there is no one like you. You stand as the God Almighty who is high and exalted, seated on his throne, who deserves all the praise, all the glory, all the adoration. And we want to declare in this place that we are your people redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the cross. It is because of that cross that, Lord, our chains are broken. Our shame is taken away. Our bondages have been lifted. And we have this freedom and joy of living for you, Jesus. And we want to make a declaration in this place that the principalities and powers of darkness have no power over us. They have no power over this church. That they have been defeated, stripped of all their power. We thank you for this glorious promise, God, that Satan would soon be crushed underneath our feet. So we stand on that victory, stand on that authority, the confidence that comes from knowing you, Jesus. Let your Holy Spirit set people free today that we will become worshipers, that we will become servants of the living God and we would live for you and you alone, Lord. For you deserve the praise. You deserve the honor. You deserve the glory. And even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father and the sweet unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us both now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. 